Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and you're listening to the amazing Menopause, Marriage and Motherhood. What are we talking about today? So I have a couple of questions written down. My first question is, you were always very adamant that you were our parents, not our friends. And while other people my age were telling their parents about their first times with boys and their first times drinking alcohol, I never did. Do you ever wish that you had more of a friendship kind of relationship? And if not, then why is it important to create that boundary? That's a really good question. Yes, I do kind of, kind of wish that I knew all that stuff. But at the same time, I'm really glad that I don't because as a parent, your safety is my responsibility. And at some point I have to let go of that and you have to stand on your own two feet and make your own mistakes and your own learnings and I'm no longer responsible for you. And that's part of that line for me. And the other thing is if I'm a friend and you're talking to me like I'm a friend, then I'm not in the position of necessarily giving advice to you. I'm not in a position of... I don't really want to say authority or superiority, but you come to me for support and suggestions and guidance. I can't necessarily do that if we if our relationship is a friendship one. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's not about being in control or being in charge or being above or anything like that. I can't think of the expression that I want to use. It's about... I don't know. What what is it about? I think you've Um, got to think of it from the fact that I had a lot of friends that their mum would always say, no, we're friends before we're parents. And you always hated that. Yeah, no. To me, it's not appropriate. The primary purpose of my role as a parent is to guide you through life. That's the primary purpose. And I can't do that if you're talking to me like a friend. And if you think of me like a friend, because as a friend, I can only give advice. As a parent, I can only give advice, but I've got the weight of parenthood behind it. I don't have that if this is just a friendship thing. We're not all girls together. That's not how it goes. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of like I want you to be able to come to me in the knowledge that there's always a refuge and a safe place and somewhere where you feel safe and okay. Yeah, that makes sense. No, I don't do the friend things. I mean, we've got, <laughs> have, have we got a good relationship? I think we got a good relationship. We have a lot of laughs. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say that you're my friend now. It's just in my teen years, there was more of that boundary. Yeah, okay. No, to but me, like, it wasn't. To the, yeah, it wasn't that we had a bad relationship. It was just that. I wouldn't have considered us friends. No, I'm your mother. And that guidance must continue until you turn 18. It has to. Yeah. Or until we move out of home. Or until you move out of home, whichever is the first. And even then, there's still a long period of letting go as a parent and reestablishing the relationship. The relationship has to slowly change over time. but. I didn't know. I didn't ever want to be your friend. I wanted you to tell me stuff and share stuff with me, and we did, I hope. But, yeah, no, not going to do that. I thought that was all wrong. 
all wrong. And to me, it was, oh, I'm actually quite judgmental on that because I think it's a cop-out. You're not taking your role as a parent seriously. You're not taking it seriously. You're not being a good parent. (laughs) It just wouldn't have worked for me. That's all. Wouldn't have worked for me. I couldn't have skipped between those two things of being a parent and being a friend. And that is also about predictability for you. If you, yeah. if I was those two things, then how would you know how to act? Whereas you were really clear in these are the rules and the boundaries, I think. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we knew our limits. Friends of mine, whenever I did something bad and I knew that I was about <laughs> to get in a lot of trouble, my friends would always be like, why don't you just own up to it and tell your mom straight up and then you can't get in trouble? <laughs> that, was, that was never the case. <laughs> no. Ever. I mean, you got in a bit less trouble if you fessed up to it, but still um, way more I'll, trouble than most other people would have. Yeah. Well, it's, it, I tell you, one of the things that I went into my teenage years with is a lot of the stuff that I did and I got away with. I was really angry that people allowed me to get away with it, I think. Yeah, right. And really upset and disappointed in those people that, one, they didn't have the personality and the strength and possibly courage to stand up to me and make me do what they knew I knew was right. And I forgot what the second thing was. I've had a, I've had a middle-aged moment. But that, <laughs> so I didn't want to, I didn't want you lot to go through that in your teenage years. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So if you did something wrong, rather than going through all the angst of going, oh, I hate them and I hate myself and all the guilt and the shame and everything else, it's like, no, no, not acceptable. You know it, I know it, and I'm going to hold you to account for it. I'm going to call you to account for it. And I think that does go back to my teenage years. I think yeah, it was well, just an observation that I hated myself so much and I hated other people for letting me get away with it. Right. See, I was going to ask you if um, if there was something that you saw when you were being raised that you didn't want to do and whether there's something that you did when you were raising us that you don't want us to do as parents, you'd want to keep that in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. I think it actually goes back to what I was just saying, that you cannot let the child overstep the boundaries. If as a parent you say these are the boundaries, you've got to hold the child to account for going outside of those boundaries. You've got to be really consistent regardless of how old the child is. It's interesting because I was just talking to Ryan. He said, I actually wonder how much of your parenting through our teenage years has got to do with the fact that you've always had horses your whole life. And so your entire life, you've learned how to be in charge of a thousand pound animal. So when you're dealing with a teenager, it is nothing compared to (laughs) dealing with an angry horse. You know, you're just like, no. Oh yeah. I can't imagine that I'll ever have a kid as difficult as Brumby Charlie. (laughs) No. And it's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. When you learn how to stand up to something, when you say to a horse, this is the way I want it to go, and the horse is trying to back you off or knock you over or stand on you, do whatever they're doing, and you've got to stand your ground 
happened and going, no, this is how it's going to go and this, these are the reasons why. I wonder yeah. how that does impact the parenting style because that is um, oh, 100% it would and you can't show fear when you're writing and I think that's no. also part of it. You've just got to put it to one side, haven't you? You might be scared to death, but you just got to kind of acknowledge it, put it to one side and get on with it anyway. Yeah, exactly. And, and not get upset. You, you know, we were talking the other day, you and I, and you made the comment about <laughs> when you now watch the American kids programs that I would never let you all watch when you were growing <laughs> up because I hated them. <laughs> And the teenager or the young kid says something to the mum and the mum gets upset, but I never got upset. I just got really, really angry. Yeah, you did. <laughs> so you didn't bother doing it because I could give as it good didn't as work. I got. It didn't work. But I wonder how much that has to do with to dealing with horses. You know, you got a 600-kilo horse coming at you and you just got to go pack it in. Well, that was actually one of my questions. Why was it so important to constantly reinforce the idea that we would never get away with the stuff that those characters were, like the way that those characters were acting, particularly towards their parents? Well, do you think, to me, I look at those kids and I just go, they're going to hate how they're behaving in future years. And I said that about that friend of yours who had all the troubles with a mum and a dad and everybody else. She's going to have so many problems later in life because she's basically a really great person. She's really kind and she's really loving and everything. And when she finally, I don't want to say comes to her senses, but when she finally moves beyond this, she's going to hate all the things that she did. She's going to hate herself. And she's going to feel so bad about all the things that she did. And that was what I wanted you all to avoid. Yeah. Yeah, that's a sticky situation. Mm. But, you know, totally understand some of the things that she's done. There's a lot of things that she's going to really regret. And that is what I was desperately trying to avoid for you four. Yeah, right. Because nip it in the bud, do something small, get the point across, do not carry on tolerating that behavior because I don't want you yeah I mean you're human don't get me wrong we're all going to have guilt and shame and everything else but if I can minimize the impact or I can minimize the stuff that you got the guilt and shame about excellent if it's small things great yeah true I feel like we were less rebellious as teenagers because we knew we wouldn't get away with it yeah more so Jamie and Ryan but still me and Keely Excuse me, Kira. I'm talking to the person who told her little sister that if you want to do something and you know that your parents <laughs> or the teachers don't want you to do it, just do it anyway and just suck That's up not the what I meant. Because at least you'll have done what you wanted to do. <laughs> That's not what I meant. She was right at the end of the diving board, ready to go. <laughs> so, what did you mean? When we were talking about that in the car, I thought that she was like right at the end about to jump and the teacher was like, right, we're done. Um, but she wasn't. She was still in the line. Yeah, she was still in so the line. I kind of had this idea that she was right at the end, like about to go, and then the teacher was like, all right, stop. And I was like, that's ridiculous. You can't do that to somebody who's on a 10-meter platform standing at the edge. <laughs> so I don't know. It was like... The idea of getting there and having to turn around was something that I hated because you'd yeah. made it to that edge. 
but I didn't realize that she was still in the line. See, a misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> so did that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it did, definitely. And what um, are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I agree. Uh, it got kind of annoying when we were watching a movie and they'd make some joke and you'd be standing there on the side with your arms crossed being like, you never get away with that stuff. But, <laughs> but I do understand where you were coming from for sure. I used to hate those American programs. I mean, I remember blocking all the, the Disney channels and the Nickelodeon, Nick Jr. Like, no, you're not watching it. <laughs> yeah, I remember too. You were such deprived children. <laughs> Do you know what it was like as a kid to say that my favourite TV show was Antiques Roadshow? Because, <laughs> I mean, for a while I loved that show. But that shouldn't have been what I was watching. <laughs> of course it should. You grew up just fine. <laughs> <laughs> it is a great show. <laughs> I remember Ryan went in when he, the first year he started school, so he must have been in, in kindy or pre-primary and they had to write out what their favourite TV program was and his was National Geographic. Yeah. <laughs> We're all a bunch of nerds. Fabulous. Oh, oh, it was great. National Geographic. That's great. Yeah. yeah, when we were talking the other day, you said that we weren't particularly horrible teenagers to deal with in terms of attitude problems. Why do you think that was and what were some troubles that you faced when we were teens? I think it goes back to what we were talking about in the previous two questions. One is mm. that I just wasn't prepared to tolerate teenage. What is what is considered to be acceptable teenage behaviour? Um, no, just no. It's not an excuse. <laughs> you know, the fact that you've got hormones raging around your body is your responsibility. Like, it's not an excuse. <laughs> Don't even think about getting away with it. And you all knew that. I think that was the difference. You know, I look at people who aren't in charge of their, oh, not in charge of, that sounds terrible, who haven't got any respect from their four or five-year-old. And I just look at them and go, mate, you're going to have so many problems when they get to their teenage years. (laughs) (laughs) You really need to step on that now. And that was always my thing I was fully aware that you were going to hit your teenage years at some point and I needed to have you fully understanding of your responsibilities by the time you hit your teenage years I think you know yeah, that you okay. were responsible for your own behavior and attitude and so it's more you, about working as up to that as children yeah it's funny because I was just talking to Ryan about this kind of thing I never wanted to treat any of you as kids I always tried to treat you as inexperienced human beings (laughs) I suppose is a better way of putting it so I tried to talk to you deal with you whatever the right word is from an age appropriate an experience appropriate developmental appropriate space so this is where you were at here's my expectations of you right now based on your experience and your personality and everything else. This is my expectation. That was what I always tried to do. And the excuse excuses were inexperience or lack of knowledge beyond that. No excuses. And that was why getting into other people's worlds was so important. Why I kept teaching you 
think of that other person put yourself in that person's shoes what's going to be the impact on that person how are they going to feel how are you going to feel what do you think this is going to how do you think this is going to matter to you what impact do you think it's going to have I was always from a really young age I kept trying to talk to you about that kind of stuff yeah right I'd forgotten about all that yeah so that when you got to your teenage years you understood you could kind of look at what was happening from an external perspective and make a choice as to whether you wanted to behave that way or not. Do you think that's why I'm so empathetic now? Because I can't even watch a movie without being submerged into the actor's world. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been the same. So I don't know whether I've always been able to put myself in other people's worlds and I just pass that on to you. I think I did. I think that was always the way. And I wasn't aware of it in my teenage years. And that was my big regret, I think, that um, going through the whole misunderstood teenager thing, I didn't enjoy at all because it made me feel really selfish. I didn't want you lot to feel that way. But yeah, you were always really empathetic. And I think it just enhanced that with the way you were brought up. And the lesson for you is to was always for you to take yourself out of that empathy, to not take it on board. Yeah. That's how somebody's feeling, but you don't have to fix it and you don't have to feel the same way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a big struggle. Oh, it still is. And it always will be. Because you do want people to feel happy. You always did. Yeah, and I always do my best to make sure everybody's happy. But it's not your responsibility. You could do your best to make somebody feel happy, but it's still not got anything to do with you. It's their choice. Well, that goes really nicely into my other question. I mean, not the empathy <laughs> part. Yeah, go. But in terms of uh, trading as inexperienced adults. Yeah. For your audience that doesn't know, I went to boarding school on the other side of the country when I was 10. What yeah. made you and dad decide to let me go? I had so many conversations with you about that. So many conversations. Well, yeah, it was a process of about nine months before I finally went. Yeah, it was. I didn't feel that it was my right to stop you from trying something. That was what made me allow you to do it. So I just made sure that you understood what it was likely to be like. You were going to be, what, 3,000, 4,000 kilometres away from home and you were only in year five. It was a big deal. But you wanted to do it. and. I've always, a lot of the time, not so much as I've got older, interestingly enough, that was why I hesitated, but I've always tried to, when I'm indecisive about something, I go back to, will I regret it if I don't do it? And I didn't want to give you a regret and a resentment. Mum wouldn't let me do this. So I thought, okay, well, we'll see how she goes. I can always bring her home. It's not a problem. But let's see how she goes. Let's send her over and see if she likes it, if she really wants to do it. And you did generate it. You really decided that that was what you wanted to do. You were really clear about it. It's like, okay, I can't stop you. You've got to do it. And if it's a mistake, it's a mistake. And if it's not, fantastic. Were you offended when I kept asking you over and over again? (laughs) Not offended, just I was hurt. I was quite hurt. But that right. was also me taking it personally. It wasn't about me. Like, probably no, not at all. Bit. I was like, oh, and I was also terrified, absolutely terrified. How did you both handle having me away from home so young? 
sure that put a massive strain on the family considering, you know, I'm the centre of this household. It changed the whole dynamic of the family. Everybody was really subdued for a good few weeks. Oh, wow, Um, really? Yeah, yeah. There was like this gaping hole in the family. It was really weird. And Keely in particular was heartbroken, absolutely heartbroken. Definitely changed our relationship because I came back and for the first time I was showering by myself and then I I didn't want to come back and then have to shower with her because that would make me a child again. That really offended her because we used to play a lot of games in the shower. Yeah, you did. You used to spend hours in the shower. (laughs) God, what a waste of water. Do you think over the whole time that I went to boarding school, because I was there on off from year five to year 12, do you think Mm. it strengthened our bond or pulled us apart? Me and you? Yeah. Neither. Because even when you were at school, we still spoke almost every day. Yeah, and I remember did. I remember saying to one of the mums at Guildford when you first started boarding that I thought that it would make life a bit easier because I had one less child to run around because I had all four of you at school at that point and before school activities <laughs> and after school activities and extracurricular activities and God knows what else on the weekend. Thanks, I thought it would make <laughs> it easier. But it actually didn't because... I spoke to you at least once a day, sometimes twice a day on the phone. And (laughs) (laughs) so I actually got a lot of one-on-one time with you. Well, yeah, that was kind of the reason why I was asking because I think it strengthened our bond because as a teenager, I was missing you a lot of the time. And that kind of reinforced that whole, I don't want to be a nasty teenager towards you, even if I am feeling resentful towards some, I don't know, whatever you did. I still remember that feeling of missing you when I'm not at home. I think, you know, I see it even with Keely now. When we get on the phone, I mean, sometimes she doesn't want to talk, just like sometimes you didn't or I didn't. But then we'll sit and chat for hours. Keely just FaceTimes me to sit on Pinterest. She doesn't (laughs) talk at all. She just wants your company. Yeah, exactly. I pick Keely up from school and, as you know, it's a five and a half hour drive home and she talks the entire time <laughs> non-stop, which is fantastic. I'm really pleased that I've got a relationship that she feels that she can do that, but you were the same. I mean, I didn't always come up and pick you up from school because it was, it was two flights. I need to say this now. So we had to fly from Perth to Sydney and then Sydney to Armadale. So quite often I'd drop you off at school, but I wouldn't necessarily pick you up. You'd come home by yourself, which was so grown up for a 10-year-old. You lost so many things at Blooming Sydney Airport while you were waiting yeah. at that lounge, including a very expensive sleeping bag one time. How I had many the time of my charges? life, though. You'd phone me up when you got to that because you were an unaccompanied minor and they'd put you in that little room where they could watch you in Sydney Airport and you used to phone me up and whinge about it for the entire time that you were sat in that room. It was so lonely in there, Yeah, sitting there for like three hours. But I liked the plane trip because then the stewardesses would give me attention. (laughs) Yeah, you got well looked after on those flights. And I'd make friends with other people who were unaccompanied minors. You made did. friends with a foster girl one time. Yeah, that was very exciting because my favourite TV show at the time was about foster kids. Well, it's about a ranch in Canada and the owners <laughs> of the ranch used to foster kids. <laughs> and they also had lots of horses. <laughs> they did, yes. It's my favourite TV show, Mum. 
So we probably should say that the reason you went to this particular boarding school is because it's an equestrian-based school and you were horse mad. And the thought of going to school across the far side of the country at age 10 so that you could do horse riding as your school sport was just too much to resist, wasn't it? It was incredible. It was a dream come true. I I still think that. So do I. I think it's like, oh my lord, little girl's idea of dying and going to heaven. <laughs> Let's all go board at Negs. <laughs> I remember walking in that boarding house and it smelt dusty and it was so old and so gross and you could feel the wind through the bricks. But I loved it. I was like, this mm. is incredible. And you and Dad mm. were like, she can't stay here. <laughs> <laughs> what I actually noticed was Jamie had started boarding at Guildford. I think it was when you were in year seven. And yeah, copycat. And um, the Guildford boarding house was only two years old, so all boys boarding house, and you walked into this beautiful new building and the smell <laughs> of teenage boys uh. just hit you. And you walked into this really old boarding house at Meg's, the girls' boarding house. It was, you know... The walls were terrible. The carpet was terrible. Everything had been scrawled on for the last 50 or 60 years. And there was no smell. (laughs) It didn't smell. And that was what I really noticed. I'll move on to my next question. It's fine. How do you think you and Dad managed to stay together through everything? I've only in recent years been able to notice when you're fighting. So how did you manage to avoid making that public? And why was it important for you, for your kids not to see when you were fighting? So everybody on TV has these dramatic fights with their parents where they're yelling at each other in the kitchen and the kids in their room crying. I never got that. I never saw you guys fight ever. Oh, well, do you reckon your dad would do that kind of shouty fight? No, I reckon dad just storms off and goes drive somewhere. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you never saw it. <laughs> I don't think it's appropriate to to fight like that and worry somebody else it's about impact on other people so if I'm upset with your dad or vice versa I mean you will have seen us having a bit of a you know usually me having a bit of a tantrum and then it's over and done with because it usually is over and done with at that point I don't think we've had a shouty argument a full-on shouting argument oh probably had a handful of times since before you lot were born yeah. We don't do them. There's just no point it, because it's just drama and you're not making any sense. And what's coming out of you is just emotion. It's not the what's so or the truth or anything. Nobody's trying to get into anybody else's world because you're too busy just trying to cause the other person pain. What's the point? Do you think it was hard staying together with four kids? I think yeah, we'll your dad in particular was blooming amazing. He used to because it was hard work for me because I did put a lot of energy into all of you. And, <laughs> and so we'd all have dinner or I'd feed you for and I'd tidy up and then your dad would sit me in our lounge, you know, in our little lounge area because we had a big house at this time. I need to set the scene here. We had a big house and we had a big TV room where you all sat and watched the telly and then dad and I had a little lounge just off the kitchen and he'd sit me down in that lounge with a glass of wine and he wouldn't let any of you come to me. Do you remember? He used oh, to kind yeah. of stand guard and he'd go, no, mummy time's over now. <laughs> I remember and that I, so well. 
Yeah, and I used to get quite cross about it, but it was just because he could see I'd had enough and I was yeah. tired and I needed some time to myself. So he used to just fend you all off. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> great. That, mummy time's over. Or he'd take me out onto the balcony, you know. We, that's why we used to go on the balcony a lot so your dad could give me a bit of space. He's really thoughtful. He's really, really thoughtful. He is. He's great. I love dad. He's pretty amazing. But I, I do remember that. Because I remember having a nightmare and walking out of the corridor from my bedrooms, <laughs> being yelled at immediately because you thought I was Keely. I did apologise for that at that moment in time. <laughs> Sorry, no, that made me realise how, how much Keely used to come out of that door with nightmares. <laughs> you wouldn't even turn around though. You would just you looked straight ahead, still at the TV, and you were like, "Keely, get back to your room." She was terrible. She was like, have you seen that meme of some still from a movie with this doll or something standing next to the bed ready to kill somebody? And, you know, the person's waking up and they find this thing next to the bed. That was Keely. Like, middle of the (laughs) night, I'd hear this noise. You know, she sucked a dummy till she was about five years old, five or six. Yeah. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night and she'd be standing next to my bed staring at me. (laughs) It was terrifying. God, children are weird. <laughs> I feel like there was something else that I wanted to ask, but I cannot for the life of me remember what it was. Did you enjoy your teenage years? Very much so, for the most part. Interesting. Why is if, that? <laughs> I really liked 2012 when I was 12. And you were, in, you were boarding, weren't you? I was, yes. And I, I think that was that was one of the best years of my life. I just had the time of my life. And then... 2013, 2014, we moved to Sydney and that was when, I mean, dad wasn't home. You were really struggling. Jamie was really angry. Mm -hmm. I hated everything. Like I hated Sydney. I hated our house. I hated school so much. Mm -hmm. I was living in an American TV show where all (laughs) the girls at school were just horrible. So no, I didn't like those years. But 2015, 2016, I was living my best horse dreams, so that was great, riding. Yeah, when we moved back to Armadale, I mean, you had a few hiccups with the girls at school, didn't you? Yeah, I think it was just like readjusting to life in Armadale as opposed to life in Sydney. It was more so that I was struggling. I had become this horrible person that I hated. But luckily everybody there knew me and they were like, this isn't the Kira that we know. So I'm glad that I had that. Like I was going back to somewhere where everybody knew me. Because I did turn into a horrible person to make up for (laughs) the horrible time in Sydney. You know, great logic. And then 2017, I went to Taz, stopped riding. But that was, again, one of the best years of my life. I love Taz. I'm really pleased about that. Just going back a couple of things, when we were talking about when you went back to Negs and you said you'd turned into a horrible person in Sydney, And, you know, I was saying before that I didn't tolerate any of the behaviour because I didn't want you regretting stuff. How does that fit in? Was that because you knew that you didn't want to be that person and you could identify it? It was partly, partly the fact that I knew exactly what I was doing and I hated myself for it. You know, when when you asked me the first or second question, that was how I felt as a teenager and what I wanted to avoid. It also meant, though, that I was a lot cleverer in the ways that I was horrible. Like, um, <laughs> I 
can't think of what I did. I was just very manipulative with the way that I'd go around about it. I was no, never I horrible that. to you. I don't think. Like the things I remember were me being horrible to the girls at school, but it was done in such a subtle way that I would make sure that nobody knew it was me right. until they all started picking up on things, you know, becoming weird as soon as I came back to school. And you must have so hated yourself for that because that's not who you are at all. No, but that's the thing. When you hate yourself, you do things to hate yourself more. Once I kind of began to see that the people that used to be my friends didn't want to be my friends anymore. I started focusing a lot more on writing. I just wouldn't hang out with anybody. And that's when I began to go back to who I am because I just, the only person I was hanging out with was Holly because she was the only person who could put up with me. I don't know. It was just Holly and Brumby Charlie and Brumby Charlie really changed me. So we have to say here that Brumby Charlie is a horse that Kira trained (laughs) up. And And it's named Brumby. Psychopath. (laughs) Yeah, she was a psychopath. I hated the horse personally. I love her. Mm, no, but it meant uh, that I could take out all that anger on her. Us two would fight instead of me and the world. When did you start getting over that? It gradually started. Uh, it would would have been this, uh, like towards the end of 2015 when I'd been back in Armadale for about six months. But I really started to be happy with who I was as a person again in 2017. Well, when did I move to Tess? 2017. And I decided that when I went to that school, I was going to be the person that I wanted to be. I was going to be somebody who was confident, somebody who was kind, somebody who was friends with absolutely everybody. You know, I was going to go back to who I was in 2012. And I did. And I did that fine because these people knew of me, but they didn't know me. And so I just kind of changed who I was. And then I did that even more so when I came to Melbourne. You know, just with every change that I had, I became a different person until I'm you know, I'm super happy with how I am now, who I am now. And it's something that you've commented on that you don't like when you're home for long periods of time because you turn back into a 10-year-old. Yeah, because I become really dependent on you. And I think that's something that's going to need practice, but maybe you just need to get more secure in yourself and have really clear measures of behaviour and ways of being for you to feel comfortable coming home and going, ah, okay, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to do this instead. Yeah, I think it's just like going home. I, For one, I don't have the same space that I do here. Like I spend so much time alone by myself. It really gives you a lot of time to think. I've really come to enjoy it. Yeah, I like my own time, which is bizarre coming from a family of six and being at boarding school. But then the second thing is, I kind of see it as a holiday, like you said. And I, you know, I don't think as much about what I'm eating and about how much I'm exercising and about all those things. I'm just like, I'm home. I can relax. I can rest. Mm. And then I regret it. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I kind of like that I come home and have a holiday because when else am I going to get a holiday? It just means that if I'm home for longer than two weeks, Start feeling terrible because you haven't done anything with your life. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right, okay. Then I start going, this isn't a holiday. I've just wasted two weeks. But for the most part, I like being able to go home and relax. I think the only thing that I found difficult with or I really regretted in the way that I brought up you for is you found it difficult to 
feel part of the teenage community. You couldn't relate to other teenagers because you just thought they were childish and stupid. So Um, all four of you felt alone as you were going through school because you didn't want to join in all the, oh, I hate my mum and that person's stupid and, you know, pulling people down. You just weren't prepared to do that. I got the best part of that though, and probably Keely as well, because being at boarding school matures you a lot faster and makes you really appreciate your parents for the most part. I mean, I met a lot of dodgy kids while I was there, but I think (laughs) it was mostly Jamie and Ryan who struggled with that because, one, they were at a private school with a bunch of privileged kids who were still living at home. So, of course, they didn't have a reason to be like, oh, no, I actually really miss my parents. Right. And I really loved them. They just had that resentment with nothing else. They were completely dependent on their parents, didn't have that sense of maturity that kids at boarding school do. So, like, I was, I still think I was more mature than everybody else. Not to sound conceited, but. <laughs> no, you were, without a doubt. I'm just but, going to make the observation here that the school you went to was a high-end boarding school. It's just that the boys went to a high-end day school. Yes, I went to a privileged private school, but most of the kids there were just country kids. And country kids tend to be more down-to-earth. They tend to be. They are more down-to-earth. <laughs> than city kids. They were all absolute imbeciles, but in a completely different way to what Jamie and Ryan had to deal with. <laughs> but, you know, Guildford was, was considered the country bumpkin school of the Perth schools. When we were looking for schools for you two, because Guildford was uh, co-ed only up to year six, after that you had to go to one of the girls' schools in Perth, we couldn't find a school that was suitable. We couldn't find one no. that you liked because they no, were but... all inner city, snobby schools that you didn't like. The kids at Guildford have nothing on the kids at Taz and Eggs in terms of countryness, no. though. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, yeah, like, I just, I think that I avoided the day kids because I was border. Borders tend to be more mature and they tend to be less stupid when they're talking about their parents because everybody's homesick. Ah, oh, that is a plus side of boarding, isn't it? it? Makes you miss your parents and appreciate them a bit more. Oh, yeah, definitely. And also because they were all country kids rather than, kids with rich parents who lived in Perth, they kind of had a lot of appreciation for how much it took to send them there. Way more so at Taz because there were always the girls at Negs who would complain about how poor their parents are. And I was like, you're at a private boarding school. What? Like, <laughs> oh, okay. You can't go to a private boarding school and be like, my parents are so poor we can barely afford to eat. I don't know, they just say all these things. And I was like, that's just not true. They'll be but, giving up some stuff, but I know I know what you mean. And you guys are giving up some stuff, but ultimately we had an incredible life and that's what really annoyed me. But uh, I didn't get that at Taz because I think boys are, you know, a little less stupid about that. Again, to clarify, Taz went co-educational the year that you started yeah. there. It was a boys' school prior to that. So there weren't that many girls. It was predominantly boys. <laughs> which boys tend to be a bit more down-to-earth about life in general at that age. There were six girls who boarded and there were 40 boys who boarded. I don't count the day kids because I don't like day kids. (laughs) (laughs) But that kind of ratio is what we're talking about here. 
So let me ask you this. When you have kids or foster kids or whatever, are you going to make them bored at school? A hundred percent. A hundred percent. They're going from year seven. <laughs> not year five, though. That was hard. No, not year five. Just because I don't want them to be lonely. Yeah, you were the only year five boarder, weren't you? The next oldest yeah. ones were year seven. And that's a big, a big difference at that age. Definitely. And they very much so had this, I'm older than you. You wouldn't get it, Kira. It's a 12-year-old thing. (laughs) You have to be in high school to be able to understand. They were the bottom of the ladder. And then when they saw the opportunity to pull somebody else down to even below them, they just did. But what I really liked about the school was the teachers really took care of you because you were by yourself. So you used to go into Mr. Oh, Rose's office, didn't you? And yeah, they uh, just went out of their way for you. I felt they went out. Of their yeah, way for they were they were so great. Mr. Rose was the best. Yeah, I used to sit there with his his daughter because she was in my year, and we used to play games on the computers. And he would go in on his computer, and you can take control of all the computers in the school. And so he'd make <laughs> us lose our games. It was so mean. But yeah, like all the teachers in that school, most of them were so good, especially yep. the boarding house mothers like Mrs. T and Mrs. Thompson. Mrs. T was terrifying, but she was still great. <laughs> I never understood why you were terrified of her because she was the world's sweetest lady. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. She wasn't as sweet as Mrs. Thompson. She wouldn't let us slide the mattress down the stairs and Mrs. Thompson would. I used to read the Mallory Towers and St. Clair's, the Enid Blyton books when I was little and wish I could go to boarding school. And then, you know, you were at boarding school and you used to do all the stuff that I'd read about in the Enid Blyton books. It was so different to Mallory Towers. (laughs) (laughs) It was so different. I mean, there were parts where I was like, I think it used to be like that. You know, like you'd see different things. Yeah, like Hosie being connected to the boarding house. And they were like, yeah, in the Second World War, people used to open this up and it was a hospital for the town. There was so much history in that school. I loved it. And all the tunnels underneath the entire town. And I don't know if I ever told you, but I snuck into the tunnels under the chapel one time. (laughs) And then there was a meeting at assembly where they said somebody snuck into the tunnels and whoever did it, if we find out, you get expelled immediately. I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) I was an edge for weeks. <laughs> but, what year were yeah. you in? Was that when you were in year five or year seven? No, that was year seven. Oh, okay. Nobody else that I went down with found it nearly as interesting. They were like, oh, it's dusty and, you know, filled with asbestos. <laughs> but there was like an old suitcase down there and like, oh, I don't know, I had the time of my life. I don't regret it at all. But yeah, like all of that history made it feel like it used to be like Mallory Towers, but it was kind mm. of modernised. But I liked mm. the history. And the fact that we had a bomb shelter on our school grounds. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was really good fun. Yeah, I did too. That was cool. Head on over to the website for more information about this episode and more information about my guests. And don't forget to subscribe. We'll love you forever. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next week. Bye.